Please open your Bibles with me to the book of 2 Timothy. Of course, it will be on the screen, but I always encourage you to read it from the text, the text from the Bible itself. That way you can also look back. Let's talk about famous last words for a minute. What people utter before they die. We always are interested in these things, especially about famous people. The composer Beethoven reportedly said, Friends applaud. The comedy is finished. Oscar Wilde, the playwright, said, Either that wallpaper goes or I do. (laughs) The actress Joan Crawford told a nurse, Don't you dare ask God to help me. Our seventh president, Andrew Jackson, said, Oh, do not cry. Be good children, and we will all meet in heaven. The abolitionist Harriet Tubman sang, Sweet low, sweet chariot, coming for to carry me home. Jesus said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Last thoughts are important in this life. What someone communicates before they die are words that those left behind cling to, think about, talk about. We give deep meaning to what is said before someone passes, whether we know the end is coming or not. In the last 10 years, I've actually been thinking a lot about last words, both personally and professionally. I've known many who've gone on to be with the Lord And in some cases, there have been, in my own opinion, some missed opportunities in the days and hours leading up to a final goodbye for people. To say goodbye, to help their family or friends before they passed. In some cases, their loved ones were waiting for a blessing or some profound words about the meaning of life and were disappointed when nothing came. And then, of course, that makes me think about my life, what I would say, what I would do if I had the opportunity to speak, maybe words of affirmation or hope to those gathered around me. So I was thinking, well, maybe sometimes we're not just very intentional about dying in a way that acknowledges other people. And it's understandable. People are in pain. They don't want to face the inevitable separation. They don't want to cause more heartache to people who are grieving. Maybe they're in denial. Even when the end is is near, people who are left want words that will help them carry on. The blessing of last words help family and friends to persevere in the everyday. Give them something to anchor, to anchor them as they move forward. Today we read personal words from Paul to Timothy in the last letter recorded from Paul. They are not his last words per se, but they are the final ones we have to this dear friend and colleague in the faith. And we see in them that Paul is giving Timothy inspiring thoughts to hold on to when he's gone. Reminders that serve to help the church carry on in Paul's absence. In these words, in Paul's reminders to Timothy and now to us, We see words that help us in the work of Jesus Christ, the same work that Paul was committed to in his life. So let's read them and see what we can take from them together. 
They are far removed from us in culture and circumstance and time, but there are ideas that transfer to us in powerful ways. So let's read them together. 2 Timothy 2, 8-15 Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, a descendant of David. That is my gospel, for which I suffer hardship, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But the word of God is not chained. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, so that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is sure, if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Remind them of this and warn them before God that they are to avoid wrangling over words, which does no good, but only ruins those who are listening. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved by him a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly explaining the word of truth. Oh God, please open up our eyes and our ears for your Holy Spirit to speak. We give you praise. Amen. This last letter from Paul was written from prison. He had been detained before in house arrest, but this time he was deep in a dark dungeon of a Roman jail. So much so... That when one of his colleagues tried to find him, they could not. The Emperor Nero is in full persecution mode of the church and will soon execute Paul, which is probably evident to the Asian missionary. Awaiting a trial, he is certain to lose. He is chained like a criminal, probably to a wall and possibly to a Roman guard. In chapter 4, he says he is bored, lonely, and cold. He is hoping fervently to see Timothy again and implores his young friend to come for a visit. The theme of 2 Timothy is guarding the gospel. In recent weeks, we've spent time in 1 Timothy, and we've been discussing Paul's strong warning for the church at Ephesus that they needed to get back on track. Those ideas are present here in the background some, but this letter is directed to Timothy and not to the church body. In the beginning of the letter, Paul gives a list of things he remembers about the faith of his friend, reminding Timothy to always keep doing the work on behalf of the gospel and to not turn away as others have done. In the beginning of this section, Paul has talked about being strong in the grace of Christ. He uses three metaphors to bring home the idea that Christians are to share in the sufferings of Jesus. He talks about a soldier an athlete, and a farmer. And he says all of these people have to work hard. They have to face certain hardships squarely if they're going to succeed. Paul's point is it is the same when we follow Jesus. We expect to face certain opposition, and we need to focus in on how we will endure as believers. Paul is handing off the torch to Timothy. In our study today, we're going to look at an assortment of thoughts from Paul Reminders that help us to continue during the, doing the work of Christ. Our first thought from Paul is simple and powerful. He says, remember Jesus Christ. Remember the Lord. After talking about the soldier and the athlete and the farmer and how they have to live out their lot, Paul now turns to focus on Jesus. Those that he has mentioned are examples of hard work and overcoming obstacles, but no one 
exemplifies that idea more than Jesus. Jesus, the incarnate one who left the splendor of heaven to become like us and understands the reality of the life that we face. By mentioning both that he was raised from the dead and also that he is a descendant from David, Paul is highlighting Jesus' divinity and humanity, identities that we must keep in mind as we attempt to follow him. Jesus faced struggles, and he is the one that we look to when we face struggles. I was thinking about how often we are exhorted to remember certain atrocities or situations that have happened in our history by repeating slogans that stay with us. Remember the Maine. Remember the Alamo. Never forget Auschwitz. We will never forget 9-11. The Vietnam Memorial Wall is coming this week to Santa Barbara so that we might go and remember those who died there and remember that awful time in our nation's history. We have sayings and remembrances as a people so that we might honor those who died in war and in attacks against humanity. And we remember with the pledge that those things will never happen again. Here, Paul is exhorting us to remember Jesus Christ. He's not a distant memory of something that is now fuzzy in our minds. He's not a grief to overcome. He is the living God. And Paul calls us to remember his death and resurrection until he comes again so that we might have hope. He is ever present with us. Sometimes Israel forgot Yahweh, and it was disastrous for them. Sometimes we as the church forget Jesus and act as if tradition or social issues are the main point of the faith. Paul's words to remember Jesus serve as a call to us to never forget that his human roots go deep into the very heart of God's people for us to remember that his power extends past any time that we can see. If you forget any human history, remember Jesus Christ, who suffered and died, so the pain we experience as humans at our own hands might be forgiven and redeemed. He overcame with victory, and we can as well. This is the good news, Paul says. This is my gospel, and it is ours as well. The next thought from Paul we see comes from verse 10. He says, Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, so that they might also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. At the first reading, it sounds as though Paul is saying he endures everything so that people might be saved. But on further perusal, we see that actually what he's saying is that he's willing to suffer hardship for the sake of his brothers and sisters in the faith. Because it helps them to endure as well. I think Paul keeps mentioning suffering because he is suffering as he's writing. But it's an interesting thought for us to consider. Paul is saying he's willing to withstand imprisonment, humiliation, pain, so that those who trust Jesus might also be able to endure when the time comes. Think about someone you know who is currently suffering hardship for the gospel, or who has suffered hardship for the gospel. There are many ways of experiencing difficult circumstances for knowing Christ. It's not a competition. All are real. Missionaries, 
those who live their faith in oppressive places, those who stand up for Christ here and are mocked or lose their livelihood or professional standing because of it, those who are judged, beaten, jailed, and killed. Why do people do that? Why do people endure such things? They do it because Jesus is real. Because he calls them, us, to truly live for him by acting and speaking and standing and intervening and boldly reaching out for him. That's one of the ways that we know that the gospel is true. When people are willing to put their lives on the line for Christ and everything that they hold dear. That's what Paul is saying he did. He is literally chained to a wall as he writes this. He could be doing anything else in the world, but choosing to lose his very life so that those who also love Jesus would be inspired to do the same. When we faithfully live out the call, we obtain eternal glory, according to Paul. The commitment to Christ is serious. It demands our all. And Paul wants the church to see that he was willing to give his whole life and have us be willing to do the same. Our third thought comes from the beautiful words from 11 through 13, which again was possibly an early church hymn. So as we have done the last three times, let's read it together again as they might have done. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, He remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. The first two lines are consistent with what Paul has been saying and with the teachings of Jesus. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever will lose their life for Jesus' sake will find it. One of Paul's main points, which we just discussed, is here as well. If we endure through this life, through his power, we will reign with Christ in heaven. The next two lines are a little bit more difficult for us to absorb, but they also come from the teachings of Jesus. If we deny him, he will also deny us. This is the thought I want us to highlight from Paul. We cannot deny the Lord and then expect to live with him. Denial of Christ with no repentance means denial of eternal life with him. Staying faithful and trusting means we get to share in all he has planned for us. Sometimes I think that unbelievers expect God to let everyone into heaven. Even those who said he was not real and lived as though he didn't matter at all. People can be incredibly disrespectful and disrespectful of God. Disdaining what he has said and disdaining the obedience that he makes as part of his life. No one likes to be disrespected. In fact, sociologists tell us that we take deep offense. Deep offense, we know that. We don't need people to tell us that. When people are disrespectful to us. What would happen if you knew someone who denied that you were who you said you were, who worked against you at every turn, who spoke out against you in untrue ways? Would you let them into your home? If Christ allows this, Paul tells us, he would be denying his very self. Think about it. 
Jesus has to be true to the promises he has given for those who believe. Allowing those who deny him entrance into his presence would be to agree what they have said about him. Jesus will not live the lie so that everyone gets to be with him forever. Only those who die to self, who proclaim him as Lord, those who have endured. There is grace. Yes, there is grace. Deeper than anything we know. He is faithful to forgive and extend life to those who want it. But heaven will be a safe place, full of God's presence, and for those who proclaim his lordship. As we remember Jesus, we also remember all that he has said. And not just the nice words we want to hold on to. We have to affirm all of it. Our last thought from Paul is with regard to God's word. There are three ideas I want to pull together from three different verses. One is that God's word is not chained. Even though Paul himself is locked away, there is no possible way the truth of God can ever be imprisoned. People have tried. They can cut out offensive passages in the Bible. They can burn all the copies they can find. They can do great harm to those who preach it or live by it. But no one has ever, nor will they ever be able to banish the word of God. It is alive. It is active. It is profitable, Paul says, for every good work. We find words in it to live by, to help us to be forgiven. The more the word is tamped down, the more it seems to go out. Next, Paul says in verse 14 that those in the church should not wrangle over words. He says it will lead to ruin. This is a recurring thought in Paul's writings that we don't fight over words. We shouldn't quarrel over meaningless things that tear us apart. He doesn't elaborate what he's talking about, but I think we get the idea. If you've ever lived with another human being for any amount of time, a parent or a spouse or a friend or a child, you understand firsthand how easy it is to get bent out of shape about words. Paul says that fighting over the exact wording of something does no good. And it affects those who are listening in negative ways. Finally, Paul tells Timothy to be a worker approved by God in how God's truth is handled. Make sure to rightly explain the word. I was thinking if we explain God's word in a way that people can understand and grasp onto, it will free them from the prison in which they are currently locked up in. Paul says, present yourselves to God for approval in how you explain the truth. For when you do that, you won't be ashamed. In his last words in 1883, Karl Marx, the revolutionary writer, was talking to his housekeeper. She was encouraging him to tell her his last words so that she could write them down for posterity. And he said, go on, get out. Last words are for fools who haven't said enough. In the end, Paul doesn't say much new in his letter to Timothy. And maybe that is the blessing of a life well lived. There's not much to say that hasn't already been said. However, Paul urges Timothy to focus on Jesus and his truth, the Savior and the Scripture, two of the most important gifts that God has given us, both alive, never perishing parts of himself extended to those who believe. Paul reminds Timothy to hold on to Jesus and the word by never letting them go. They are given to help Timothy so he will have courage, so that he might endure. For over 30 years, Paul has faithfully done the work of the Lord. 
not saying much new, saying the same things. Now Timothy and the church will lead the way to places Paul will never see. The church has had to face hardship from within and without since these words have been written, yet still we stand. So how do we continue then in a future that is unknown and maybe a bit scary? How will you endure? How will we find courage? By focusing in on Jesus and the word. Let us pray.